0: Welcome back to Make More Music, the podcast that connects people to music and one another. My name's Chris, and I'm a board-certified music therapist. If you're new, thanks for checking out the show. I interview different music and music-related field professionals to show the abundance of career paths and options, and even in the middle of all this craziness, what people are doing with music to make the world a better place. So, um, I don't know about you all, I've cut this one really close to the corner. This is probably the craziest Getting the episode out, it is 9.34, and the episode comes out at 12. I've had everything edited. I just – I don't know about you all. I've had so much going on during this craziness, this COVID-19. And what's funny is I feel like I get less done but work harder. And I'm grateful that I'm working at home and I'm able to spend time with my family but it's also bananas. So I hope you're surviving. I hope you're thriving. Um, Hit me up, you know, send me a message on Instagram. um, Email me if you want to chat. I'd love to connect. I'd love to support you some during this time. But today I've got something really special. I've got a double feature episode. So uh, today is an episode with my podcaster friend, Kate Shannon, Kate is a board-certified music therapist and licensed creative arts therapist, and she is really passionate about integrative approaches in therapy. She specifically has done a lot of training in play therapy as well as music therapy and loves to talk about the convergence and the interdisciplinary work that can be done and how we can be better when we look at creative arts therapy as an umbrella. So aside from all of her own amazing fieldwork, she has her own podcast called The Creative Therapy Umbrella. And today is a doubleheader because she also interviewed me for her podcast. So if you just can't get enough of my sweet dulcet tones coming out of my voice, um, or if you just want to hear my perspective on anything, please head over. We have dropped it today on both podcasts, so Creative Therapy Umbrella. I will link to more of that in the show notes, and I'll talk about it again at the end. But without further ado, let's get into this thing. This is Kate Shannon and the Creative Therapy Umbrella. (laughs) All right, Kate, we're going to pretend like we didn't already chat for like an hour and a half. Um, (laughs) So before we get into all the awesome things that you do, um, and we'll pray one more time to the gods that our four-legged and two-legged friends will participate (laughs) through another chat. Um, I want to go and do some rapid fire. Are you ready?
1: I'm ready. Let's do it.
0: All right. First... What is the last track you played on whatever Spotify or Apple Music?
1: Oh, dear Lord. I'm sure it's something from Frozen 2. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've had so... It, it is. I think it was Show Yourself from Frozen 2.
0: <laughs> Man, my daughter gets down to that song. Uh,
1: how can you not? All of the song. I'm blown away that they, they did it. It was just so good. They had so many good songs.
0: So yeah, for Easter, we got her three little, was it three? Yeah. Three little dress up outfits. And one of them is this really (laughs) nice Elsa dress up. So she's worn that for two solid days. Oh
1: yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Yes. That's something you got to wear all the time. You got to, got to (laughs) feel it.
0: So I have to ask to elaborate, are you listening to Frozen or is this clinical listening or what?
1: Oh, yeah. It is clinical. It is all clinical. (laughs) I do. There's the the new the song All is Found. um, I really Mm. appreciate and I actually really appreciated the new the second Frozen um, because I feel like you could hear a little bit more of how they pulled in some of the cultural pieces of what they were going Mm. for more so than the first movie. So I do enjoy it. Um, I can enjoy it because of that. But I also know that I have a good seven, eight years that I'm going to have to be playing these songs over and over and over again. So it does not go into my personal life. (laughs) Good call. Good call. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Good call. Um, You can take this as philosophically as you want. Okay. If you were an instrument, what would you be? Oh,
1: that's such a good question. I would be the bass, no doubt.
0: Oh. Yeah. Why?
1: uh, it's my favorite. It's probably one of my favorite instruments. It's one of the instruments I play. Um, and I like that it is like a glue. It's um, a connector mm. between two kind of different things. It can be like really awesome on its own. And, you you know, certain people can really appreciate it for what it is um, when it's doing its own thing. But it can also function as like this, uh, like just thing that glues, you know, rhythm and and percussion together in this really cool way while being a part of both of those other things.
0: That's fun. What style of bass or styles of bass do you like to play?
1: Oh, man. Well, I haven't played in a while, which is a bummer. Um, I, I really love playing anything I have a very um very deep place in my heart for anything Rush bass lines Sweet. um yeah Getty Lee was always like he was just had the cool he made to me when I was when I first like heard Rush um he made the bass something totally different that I had never heard before mm. um so I really liked how he turned it into something a little bit more than just a rhythmic um, something rhythmic with like a, you know, that structured kind of bass line, and he elaborated mm-hmm. and made it a little bit more fun. Um, but I love funky stuff. You know, uh, I, I really could play anything and probably thoroughly enjoy it.
0: <laughs> that is super fun. Victor yeah. Wooten is still uh, my favorite bass player of all time. So
1: good. He's so good. Yes. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. Victor, whenever you want to answer your DMS, I will gladly have, <laughs> you, have you on the show whenever you want. There's this new,
1: um, this new, uh, guy out and it's kind of like his band. They actually have an, a really great NPR, um, Mm. tiny desk concert, uh, Thundercat, um, Mm. who, Oh, it's so, so he's another one of just like, um, and I only heard him recently. My husband had shown him to me and, it just makes the bass into something you've never heard before. And it's so, and I mean, he's phenomenal. Like he just shreds the bass. Like this, the strings are like, like they're guitar strings. It's insane. Um, But yeah, he's really enjoyable to watch.
0: What's that guy's name?
1: Thundercat.
0: Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. I gotta look up this guy. Yes. Sweet. Yeah. A lot of fun. Okay. Well, during all of this, coronavirus craziness. What is something that's been inspiring you recently?
1: Ooh, that's a good question. Um <laughs> this is the probably the most like simple thing. Um my sudoku puzzles.
0: <laughs> All right. All so
1: right. I have and I, I think what it is for me is um so much of everything that's happening right now and what, you know, everything that's led up to this, the current place that we're in, there's so much unknown. And of course I can't stop referencing into the unknown. It's perfect timing. came out <laughs> with that, but, um, I, I think for me and as a therapist, when you're working in so much unknown where things are not, you know, it's, it's not black or white. Most everything's kind of in that gray area. Mm-hmm. Um, and also very much living that now personally too, you know, we all kind of are in this very different space and um, having something that is just right or wrong is like really uh it's really settling and like really grounding and very simple that it's just like, okay, this is either I got the row right or I didn't. And it's something that I can like really appreciate. And then it gives me more Mm -hmm. space to kind of hold those other things, those other unknown things um, with having some of that.
0: I feel you. I'm very grateful that it is lawn mowing season again.
1: (laughs) Yes.
0: Yes. I go and do this thing and then it's done. It's
1: so basic. And it is, I think it's almost an appreciation for the very simple things and seeing the inspiration behind those too. Mm
0: -hmm. All right. On a totally different note, as a music therapist, as a podcaster, or just in general, what is a pro tip or a hack that you practice that you feel like other people should know about?
1: Oh, as a music therapist or a podcaster.
0: Or just... As a human, I had somebody tell me how to keep his takeout food hot in the car on the way home, so.
1: Oh, ooh, that's good. <laughs> um, ooh, uh, oh, that's a hard one, but a good one. I would say hmm, there's a good podcasting one that somebody shared with me, um, and I this would actually probably go along with anybody who records anything, even as a music mm-hmm. therapist um, or any musician, really. Uh, is when you are recording something and you know maybe something like this where you're recording a longer piece and you mess up or somebody wants to edit something out that you just clap three times and you see the spike levels in the recording. So then you can just zip through your recording and find those spike levels, edit those out. And then you can like re, like I after that, then go and like re-listen to edit. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm just taking those out and kind of chopping those up and then go back and edit if I have to.
0: The first time I learned about that, I was like, man, that is so simple. It's the same thing with lining up audio and visual, which I didn't know. That's why they do the clap, the like, and uh, scene, you know, like that's why they do that for (laughs) movies, you know, the little clapper thing.
1: Yes. Yeah. And it's so funny because I think, I think Gabby from, uh, clinical populations was just talking about it. she's like yeah that's why i start she i guess she started saying like and scene for all of their recording stuff too
0: <laughs> that's hilarious that Yeah. Is hilarious.
1: yeah that's Solid.
0: all right another swerve what is your go-to junk food
1: oh man i have so many <laughs> Oh man. Okay. Uh, I would have to divide this up into very different categories of junk food. Uh, We've got uh, time. (laughs) Um, if it's like a meal, it's 100% macaroni and cheese and chicken nuggets. Like, so go to love it. Um, but if it's like a snack, I would have to say sour cream and onion chips. Um, now if it's like anything candy related, uh i'm a huge dark chocolate fan but i also love sour patch kids so
0: okay i've got a real connoisseur counter- counter- in on my hand here
1: <laughs> <Of> junk food <laughs> so sad
0: <laughs> i just talked with um somebody uh, a couple weeks ago and he was talking about taco bell and i was like oh don't even get me started <laughs> on the oh, bell."
1: my husband has all these nicknames for taco bell like uh I don't I can't even keep up with it because he was such a Taco Bell kind of and he's like, Man, I don't know, I has all it. these yeah, all these traditions where you have to like put a hot sauce packet on something and yeah. <laughs> oh yeah.
0: That's good. That sounds like a good household. Yes, like it is.
1: This. It is. <laughs>
0: um lastly, totally another <laughs> different swerve. What is a person, a project or an organization that you want to lift up with a shout out?
1: Oh, oh, that's a good one. Um, a person, an organization. Oh, there's so many. I would have to say, I'm going to shout out to um, Bonnie Hout, who is, Mm. she's a music therapist and she's awesome. And she's always such an avid supporter of everybody. And she is actually um, in the beginnings of producing a podcast that's specifically for supporting um, individuals. And I think more so on the adult side with developmental differences. Um, Mm. So yeah, shout out to her. She's doing some really cool stuff.
0: That'll be great. I saw her getting the ideas ready. I'm excited to yes. post that stuff out. Yeah, me for sure.
1: Me too. I'm pumped for it. It's a it's a population that doesn't, there's not a lot of books written about, you know, supporting nope. that population and um, yeah, so I'm glad she's doing it. It's going to be awesome.
0: Great. Well, let's, yeah. let's, before we get all the way into all the cool things you're doing now and your mm-hmm. podcast and your clinical work, I want you to take me way back to- okay. What are some of your first musical memories growing up?
1: Oh man. Um I would say musically probably listening to my grandfather um play some sort of music. Uh he was a musician. And my whole, my father's side of my family is all very, very musical. They were, they were in bands together, incredibly musical. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do remember being with my grandfather a lot and um, he would play, he played guitar, he would sing, um, he played harmonica, a lot of little um, dilly dallying and kind of stuff. But he was a really good harmonica player and a really great guitar player and did a lot of like kind of country kind of stuff. Um, but he was also like a total kook in like just a comedian and was like always trying to get us kids to laugh. So like, I vividly remember like sitting at the table with him and him like strumming on his guitar, but then all of a sudden like making really goofy faces and then like, you know, cracking a joke in between something and then kind of like going back into a song and, um, he was always incredibly entertaining to watch for sure.
0: Sounds like a good grandpa.
1: Yeah, yeah. He was awesome. He was a lot of fun. I, I think I got a lot of my musicianship um, mm. on that side of the family. And sometimes even when I think about it, like the humor that I end up bringing into my music therapy mm. sessions are probably probably where they came from.
0: <laughs> that, that's cool. That's really yeah. fun. And to yeah. see someone not taking themselves so seriously,
1: mm-hmm.
0: making music fun and play, how beneficial for a kid growing up.
1: Oh, totally. We just had so much fun. Absolutely.
0: So what are, you know, the first instruments that you're learning and what does the process of being a young musician look like for you?
1: <laughs> um oh, I laugh because I don't think it it wasn't um it was different, I think, for me than a lot of uh, kids probably. Um I started the flute in fifth grade and I still play it. I love it. Um, But I grew up in a really rural area. And in school, we had band, and that was it. And
0: Mm -hmm. it was,
1: um, you know, we would play pomp and circumstance and, you know, uh, (laughs) different kind of like band things.
0: 76 times in a row. Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And just stuff that like wasn't i it was weird because I really enjoyed music. I played and also my dad is a you know a drummer. He played bass and got me to play bass, and my whole family's musical and um so music was always very important to me. But um, I think, like, my learning of music was different in that, like, I didn't find, I think, what I was looking for in, like, school music. Mm. Um, And I kind of found it, like, you know, my dad was, he is a, you know, really great drummer, musician, but learned everything by ear and was never Mm -hmm. formally trained whatsoever. So he was always, you know, like, oh, well, you know, learn learn the notes, but, you know, play it by ear and play it by ear. So that was always, like, a And thankfully now I I have like very much internalized that because I'm not a good musician. If I have to read something like I can Mm -hmm. read chord charts. Great. But like, if I have to read classical piano or like, you know, even like classical flute stuff, I'm like, Oh man, this is going to take me like 15 minutes to get through these couple of lines. Like I'm very slow at it, but ear wise, I feel like that's where one of my strengths comes in. Um, but in school, nobody else really like did that. There was nobody to kind of help support me through that. So, um, I luckily had it at home, but I just kind of thought that music was just like a hobby, you know, it was just like, Mm -hmm. this is all really kind of music is just a cool hobby and I love it. And, you know, I'll learn some stuff. And I ended up picking up the bass, I think when I was like 13, Um, cause I also, I played the flute, but it was also like, I don't really like what we're playing in band. So like, I wanted to play, I liked a very different kind of music than we were playing in band. So I wanted to play something where I could like experience playing what I
0: really, really loved so which is
1: um uh, back then it was pink floyd led zeppelin rush um lots of i really liked a lot of classic rock um Mm -hmm. so even like i remember blur song two (laughs) that was like one Mm -hmm. of the first songs i learned um a lot of that different stuff and some pop stuff too. I mean, like, I mean, pop is in like, I guess, pop rock of the late nineties, you know, of yeah. blur and, um, I'm trying to think of some other ones that I used to play that were pop, but a lot of older stuff too. I really liked a lot of some of the classic rock stuff for sure.
0: That is where I started diving in the rabbit hole in middle school. And it's kind of the same thing. Like in band, you're playing sixth seventh grade <laughs> band songs <you> know? yep <laughs> and I was like but I am listening to Jimi Hendrix at home yes yeah,
1: so. yes so. and it was like when you hear that music and you're a musician I think you're a draw to like be a part of it in some is so big so I think I struggled with that being like a flute player and being like what the hell am I going to use this for in Led Zeppelin? You know? like
0: (laughs) Yeah. So would you play like with your dad and with your family or did you have any bands or anything like that?
1: Oh, totally. I played, um, I would do some flute stuff with my, my dad and my dad has a twin brother and they would always play music together. We have like actually, um, they live right next to each other, and they have a studio um, that we always go down and just kind of, like, play music and usually play darts and stuff and hang out and blast music because there's – we live very much in the woods, so you can blast the music as loud as you want to, which is really nice. Yeah. Um, so we would play. I just play... love that
0: the twin brothers live beside each other.
1: Oh, still. they're like uh, like inseparable twins. Like they are truly that is so cute. It's it's awesome. I I love it so much. It's been it's been so cool to be a um to have a dad who is a twin. Like I feel like I've gotten such a cool glimpse of what twinhood is like. <laughs> Being um... that's
0: interesting. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really cool. It gives me a whole appreciation for like twin studies and (laughs) different stuff like
0: that. That's hilarious.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I played in a lot of bands in high school that were very much like, I mean, you probably know this too, of if you, you know, doing the same thing of like, you know, it was usually me and a few of my guy friends. There wasn't really that many other girls that would, that played. Um, but you know, we'd get together and, Jam for an hour, you know, whatever that meant, and then it would be like, okay, let's do like the same four songs that we know <laughs>
0: <laughs> for nobody. Yeah, yeah, for nobody.
1: oh yeah, for in in someone's garage, and a couple of our friends who don't play will be there and listen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which was awesome. so much fun though, because I, I loved it. Was great. It was it was really great.
0: <laughs> You're really lucky that you had a dad as a drummer, though, because that's the one thing I could never get as it was a a consistent drummer growing up.
1: Oh, so it's hard to find a good drummer too. It's very true.
0: So at what point in your life or where did things evolve to where um, eventually you shifted and you thought, oh, this doesn't have to be a hobby or I'm pretty good at this or Mm -hmm. what is that path to where you decided to round back towards music?
1: Oh, it was a long A long and winding road. Um, I started school. I started at, I'm from New York and I, upstate New York. I always have to clarify, not New York City. Um, (laughs) So, and way upstate, not like an hour outside of the city, like seven hours outside of the city. Um, That's
0: like Florida. It's like so far apart everything is so far Uh,
1: yes there's so much and everybody with new york is always like oh new york city and it's like no there's like so much more to new york than just new york city and i love (laughs) new york city but um so i started at uh i went to suny potsdam for a year and was definitely not i actually barely got into college like i didn't I didn't really find what was motivating for me in high school, which is why I'm so thankful that your podcast exists <laughs> because mm. I feel like if I would have had this, I would have been like, oh, there is something, and I I think I was just I was really lost on how I could use music and if I could use music like in a career. Um, But so I almost didn't get into college. My grades just weren't that good. I didn't have a lot of, like, extracurricular activities. And um, I did – I got – barely got into school – And I was on like one of those probationary periods. They were like, you Mm. you probably shouldn't be here, but we'll take your money. So Funny how
0: they Um, do that, huh?
1: I know, right? I know. Um, But then I ended up transferring to SUNY Oneonta. And I'm so thankful that I did because I would say the moment I think I realized I could actually do something was because I had this awesome mentor, um, this awesome professor who is kind of like my mentor. Um I did uh I started off as like a music industry major and then I was like, I hate business. I shouldn't do that. Um <laughs> so I, I transferred out of that. And then I actually dual majored. I have two bachelor's degrees. One is in music. It's just a BA in music and then one is a BA in anthropology and I really liked mm. both of those. Um, but music wise I knew I really liked it and I knew I wanted to do something with it, which is kind of why that BA degree worked out very nicely for me. It was just like this general music degree. And I, I really liked theory. I really liked history. Um, we had to, uh, our school was pretty awesome with some of like the, uh, like the ensembles you could play in. Like mm-hmm. it, it wasn't SUNY Oneonta, it was like a very, uh, I don't know. It's, it's like a very different school in that there wasn't like, like Potsdam was very like classical band and orchestra and chamber kind of music you'd play. And Oniana was like, uh, we have a Zappa band and we have Latin jazz and we have a jazz octet. And like they had all this like really awesome stuff that was like beautiful, intricate music. And, um, So you you could kind of, like, for me, it was, like, the perfect fit. Like, I just found, like, my people uh, who I could play music with. So I started with that one professor. His name was uh, Art Fallbush, And I think he's still there. Um, But he was a Latin jazz teacher. And he just, you know, like, he really, like, took me under his wing and was, like, you can really do something. Like, you're great at improv. Like, you're, you know, like, there's so many options, you know, that you can – do in music. And, you know, you should keep looking and keep, you know, keep learning about it. Cause you know, after you graduate with a BA in music, you can't really do anything. So I knew that like I wasn't done after that. Um, so yeah, he really kind of led me, I think on that path that I could do something with music there or music in general.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and then I think to music therapy, it was, I took some time off after I did graduate. I thought for a while I wanted to do ethnomusicology because I love learning about, you know, um, how cultures use music. Um, It's fascinating. Like I could, you know, that and then, you know historical instruments like the archaeology of instruments mm. i am fascinated by that also and like you know mammoth bones for flutes and you just all of that stuff is you know really really fascinating and let's uh-huh. yeah
0: let's go off in the woods for a minute what yes. are a couple of different <laughs> uh you know cultures that you got super obsessed with or some different i I don't know anything about music archaeology. So let's okay. go in the woods a little bit. <laughs> Educate me.
1: Okay. Um, okay. Music archaeology, I would say, I'm not even sure if that's the term, but like the archaeology of music maybe is a better way to say it. But um, what I always found fascinating is how far back music goes. You know, music is not necessarily in itself something that's tangible that would survive you know, thousands Mm -hmm. upon thousands of years. Um, but you know, they've found, you know, flutes made from mammoth tusks and, um, Mm. thumb, uh, thumb harp, thumb piano, the things that you chew, that you put on your teeth Uh, and And, Yeah,
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And you know, those are there and there's also, you know, just all of the evidence I think of, um, us as humans and our artistic history, you know, the importance of the arts and, um, I was always fascinated that, um, you know, back then, you know, even think talking about like Neanderthal periods, you know, stuff like that mm. is like anything that you do is for survival. Like you're not going to do anything extra. Like it's, you know, as some form of survival tactic. Um, and that's a very big thing in anthropology too. Is that you know cultures keep things, it's like, you know, um, I guess part of the natural selection is if we didn't have to keep it, it would it would leave us, you know, like tailbones, mm-hmm. you know, like we it would we would get over it. Um, but music hasn't. And I think the importance of that and like how that is thread throughout history and throughout every culture that's ever existed we know, you know, with all of the records that we have, that music, dance, and the arts have been a part of that in some way.
0: Yeah.
1: So I just find it fascinating.
0: Yeah. I think, yeah, that's one of the most fascinating things I think in general is like the, how people reconcile with like, what is music for and why does it exist? Yeah, I think it's so interesting, but mm-hmm. um Let's swerve back into, uh, back onto the highway and we'll get back into the professor. (laughs) So you were, you were thinking about all of these things and then at some point you get bit with the music therapy bug. What happened?
1: I did. Oh, and thank goodness I did. Um, I was uh, I took some time off from school. I did a, an AmeriCorps program um, oh, and cool. that was awesome. Yeah, it was really amazing. I loved it so so much. Um, and I knew even then too I really connected with a lot of the kids who you know were really into music and um, I was thinking between music ed and music therapy. And so I was like, you know, and actually my brother, my older brother had started off as a music therapy major and then he switched. So I'd like heard about it, but it was just, nah, I don't think it's really for me. And I made a connection with a music therapist who worked at an ARC, an ARC um, near where I was living at that time in Rochester, New York. And I went to observe with her And I remember it was a Wednesday (laughs) Um, and I went and observed with her and it was the one one observation. And I was like oh my God, I am sold. Like <laughs> this was so awesome. And I ended up volunteering with her for like six months because I just loved it so much. And I just wanted to soak in everything. It was, she was leading, she was working um, with um, some adults with developmental differences and she had a bunch of lollipop drums. And she was like running around the room. And, you know, now I know it. she was doing like some gross motor, you know, bilateral stuff. And like they were, they were playing the drum up high, down low on different sides But, like, how much fun everybody, including her, that they were having, it was, like, this is – so, and it's, like, within music. I was totally, totally sold after that. So I was, like, yep, check, done. Let's do this.
0: (laughs) It's that easy. It happens that fast, for sure.
1: Yeah. And I think, too, like, now, too, doing podcast stuff and and talking to so many people and asking them about – when was that moment? So many people, it's like you have to see it or feel it. And like, then it's like, oh, what? This is what this is. This is nuts. It's so awesome.
0: Yeah. The world's just colliding. You're like, oh, that's what I'm doing now. Okay, <laughs> yes, cool.
1: Yes, Thank you. I was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I
0: was walking in this direction and now I'm just going to pivot and walk in this direction. So yes, yeah, for sure.
1: Absolutely.
0: So you know, walk through as much as you want about, mm-hmm. uh, your kind of music therapy history and your extra trainings and stuff like that into what you're sure. doing now.
1: Okay. Um, I started, well, I got, I graduated from, uh, Nazareth college with my master's, um, and it's a master of science in creative arts therapy. Um, which I'll come back to why that's important because I feel like it was something I didn't realize it until later, but now I do realize it. Um, yeah. So it was a specialization in music therapy, but a lot of our core classes were with art therapists. Um, one of our teachers was a play therapist. One of the teachers did yoga therapy. So it was, um, I didn't realize how lucky I was then to be housed in a school that had all of those different therapies together. Um, so I loved it. Love, love, loved it. It was very, um, uh, I would say, um, what's the word focused on mental health. Um, Mm. because in New York they have the LCAT. So once you graduate from that program and you do some of your supervision, you are eligible to get the LCAT license. So, which means, you know, the LCAT is like, you have additional training in mental health as a music therapist or art therapist Mm -hmm. or whatever. So it's kind of, it's an umbrella. Um, but, uh, so I did that. Um, I worked in Rochester for almost four years. I did my internship at a place called Mary Carriola Children's Center. They're amazing. Um, an awesome, inclusive school. I got a lot of, um, Nordoff Robbins style training there lots of improvisation. Yeah. Totally. Like my jam, like the stuff that I love, very like humanistic. And, um, but at the same time we'd have groups where, you know, I'd plan out my session plans of like, Oh, we're going to sing, you know, here comes the sun today and you know, blah, 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 blah. So it was a great, uh, balance for sure. It was a great internship and they're doing really cool things there. Um, and after I went, There, I started at um, Spectrum Creative Arts in Rochester and worked there for a while I think almost four years, three and a half years. Um, And it was so awesome because I really dug into working in like early childhood, like zero to five. So, I worked at like a therapeutic preschool and I I helped create um, this program called like Groove to Grow that was all about like kind of like a music together ish kind of program, Um, but really focused on like bonding and um, kind of like the mental health and the infant mental health aspects that you could incorporate into a music program like that. Um, So, that kind of set me on that path of like getting interested in mental health and, you know, mental wellness of children. And my husband and I picked on up and moved out to Denver. And um, my job here, it's with the Child and Family Therapy Center of Denver. I've been here two and a half years and um, doing music therapy with palliative care. And I have like a split caseload of, you know, um, kids who are medically fragile, Um, who have different, you know, medical diagnoses, sometimes on top of intellectual differences. And then I have some clients that are, it's, you know, just developmental differences. So a good variety. And um, out here, I got really interested in play therapy. So I've been on that kick of like, in in actually on Sunday I don't know this this might be out later than that but um, MWR is doing their conference online and I'm doing mm-hmm. a whole like five hour CMTE on incorporating play into music play therapy techniques like kind of all of that stuff. Um awesome. So yeah, I've been and so uh, all of that stuff I think all of that whole path of like my experiences with other creative arts therapists and seeing how much we overlap with each other is what's made me start the podcast of like, we need to talk to each other more. Like we, there's so much we have in common. We're, we're all artists. We all love creating. And there's so many spaces where our our arts overlap, you know, mu- music and dance and, you know, art and play, they all overlap with each other. And so I just really like connecting with other people, having those conversations and, Trying to support other other creative arts therapists and hearing different ideas of what they can do outside of their um particular modality,
0: well, you teed that up amazingly because I was <laughs> gonna ask I would assume that probably a lot of people that listen to this podcast don't know a lot about um even broadly about some of the different creative arts therapies. Mm -hmm. And then you've had some really interesting guests too. So can you just talk about what that perspective is and what kind of you're hoping to get out of all these conversations and some of the different modalities and different things you've come in contact with?
1: Yeah. Um, I I almost started it as like a music therapy podcast only, but then I was Mm -hmm. like, I, and then I really had to sit and focus on like what am uh, what is the point of this podcast? And I really you're
0: like me, you're like me. <laughs> I, yeah.
1: Like wait a second, wait let me let me take it back a bit. <laughs> and I think for me, I I really realized how lucky I was to have crossed paths with so many other creative arts therapists being. Play, dance, drama, art, poetry, you know, all these different other creative modalities, expressive arts therapists, you know, um, yoga therapists, people who are using pet, you know, supported pet assisted therapy Uh, and they all intertwine with each other. So I was like, okay, I want to interview people. I want to talk with them about what they do. And I want like I I hope that people hear how similar we are mm. and how much we can, you know, obviously always within our scope of practice, uh, but how much we can learn from each other that we may not learn, you know, if we go into um I guess, some other modalities. Like, for example, I'm thinking as music therapists, there's tons of trainings on, like, speech therapy, OT, PT, you know, like these other hard skills. But, you know, there's this whole other, like, thing behind us of other creative arts therapies that we could also be diving into of, like, art and music therapy, you know how can you bring art into music therapy sessions? And as an art therapist, how do you bring music into your sessions and vice versa? And I just want to create a space where the creative arts field can communicate about those things more often and then other people can hear it and then maybe get motivated to like reach out to somebody and, or, you know, take a training or something. So,
0: so, for kind of narrowing in for a music therapist or somebody already doing something in that field. Mm-hmm. How do you navigate those barriers of scope of practice and maybe even tell people what a scope of practice is and what it does and things like that?
1: Totally, because it's so important. Um, your scope of practice. You know, basically, everyone's background is completely different. Everyone's scope of practice is going to be completely different. I was talking with somebody who was a very, um, she was like educated musically, the opposite. She's very classical kind of person. And she was talking about adapted lessons. And I was like, well, that's so much more in your scope of practice than it is in mine, because I don't, have that knowledge as much as you do, so mm-hmm. like even within everybody's different backgrounds, I think our scope of practice it ebbs and flows depending on on your experience. Um, and as a music therapist, obviously, I would never say that I'm doing play therapy, art therapy, any other type of therapy. I always like what I've heard. Is that you, uh, some of the things that you can say is if you are, you know, we never say we're a speech therapist and, you know, we never want a speech therapist saying they're doing music therapy. It's, you know, it goes both ways. And, um, I think when you're practicing within your scope, you kind of know the theory behind what you're doing. You at Mm -hmm. least know, I think, you know, theory is so grounding. If you can stay grounded in the theory of why you're doing it, um, then I think that gives you some of that scope of practice, some um, footing in that scope of practice of what you're doing. Uh, but I think it's very important that the language that you use is in line with the, um, the logistics, I guess, is the best way to say it. Uh, You know, I can, I can never become registered as a play therapist. You know, I can't become an art art therapist unless I do all these other degrees. Um, And I would never want to disrespect their field by claiming that I was doing something like that. But we can be informed of each other's practice. Um, I think it's the thing of like, with music therapy, I don't want to be the only person using music. Like I want the parents that I work Mm -hmm. with, like use the music. I want teachers of the kids that I'm working with to use the same music, you know, Hey, if this helps this kid transition to the bathroom, then like use that song, please. That's generalizing that skill. We're making it happen in other environments. Um, so I think it's a similar thing of like, uh, you know, wanting to share that art in other ways and, uh, doing so in a responsible way. If that answers your question, <laughs> I'm not sure it did.
0: You always go down a rabbit hole when you bring up scope of practice. So I think, <laughs> right? I think that's good.
1: Uh-huh, definitely.
0: So I really loved, I mean, I love your show in general, but I think Thank the one you. with your brother and the one with <laughs> Dr. King, I love those a lot. But what have been some of your favorite ones so far?
1: Oh, well, I did. I did love the one with my brother because it's just fun just, you know, getting to spend that time with and talk about music um, and different kind of music. It was all, you know, a lot of video game music and stuff. Um, oh, there are so many. It's hard to pick. I might actually have to look through, too, because um, there. I feel like the same in that they've all been so enjoyable. I, I just genuinely enjoy talking with other people about creative arts therapy. It's fascinating to hear other people's perspectives, to hear um, different clinical stories that other people um, share. Um I think if I had to pick, uh, I'd probably pick like three of the ones that I could just go back and listen to over and over again. One of them is with uh, Kirsten. Um, It's uh, Trauma, Relationship, and Exploration in Play Therapy. And surprise, Mm. it's play therapy, which I'm really, really interested in anyway. (laughs) Um, But it's just so... It's, it's a great episode in talking about like, you know, we talk about like shining a flashlight with a child when you're like, you're like shining a flashlight on all these scary things. And, you know, it's kind of like you're in a cave together and the importance of just like reiterating to your client of like, Hey, I'm here with you. And like, I'm in this scary place and we can turn around, we can keep going forward. Like, it was just a great, so much fun, such a fun episode. Um, Mm -hmm. Creativity, Nature, and Thinking Outside the Box with Mika McLean. She's an art therapist and has uh, some specialization in child life. So her and I talked so much about palliative care and you know that really sensitive space that you have in palliative care with children. Uh, which was just so much fun um, to talk with her about. And I would have to say also my, probably one of my favorites was with my professor, Dr. Betsy King, um, academia, resource creation, and clinical experience. Um, I could just listen to her all day. I could talk with her all day. She's so knowledgeable about the field and I love listening to her thoughts about, you know, how the field is expanding and as, a person in academia, what that looks like as it, you know, continues to move and create new things. And so, yeah.
0: Do you have any like quick stats of like the, some of the different uh, modalities you've worked with and things like that so far?
1: I like um, I can tell you off the top of my head, I definitely talk with more mostly music therapy, not mostly, I would say like, Maybe half of them or 40% is music therapists. Uh And then I've had a good amount of play and drama. Dance is harder. I've had a harder time getting dance therapists. Um, I recently just, excuse me, released an episode with an expressive therapist who was also a dance therapist. So that was really cool um, to get the expressive therapist model in there too, which is fascinating. Um, and then, uh, poetry therapy, I've yet to find somebody. (laughs) Mm. So, but I can't wait till I do.
0: (laughs) So with all of this and kind of considering most people that are listening are going to be creative people. Mm -hmm. Why creative arts therapy? Why get and deliver creative arts therapy? And why might somebody consider becoming a creative arts therapist. Oh,
1: it's such a good question. There's so many answers.
0: <laughs> you can go as long oh, as you want.
1: Um the I I think um the shared experience of creating art is uh something And not even always creating, but like the shared experience of art, even experiencing art, Mm -hmm. like going to a concert, you know, or um, different things like that is so deep. I think it's such a it just resonates on such a different level and being able to share that with other people and knowing that you are helping in some way um, to, you know, work towards something. In, uh for me, I always feel like the most humanistic way, you know, of you're being with somebody, you're walking alongside them, and that you're getting to engage in this art medium that you love also, and mm-hmm. they love. And knowing that you're walking a little bit farther together each time you meet, and you know, sometimes you walk backwards, that's for sure. But you know, like you're mm-hmm. overall, you're walking on this journey together. Um, I just don't think there's many things like in life that can, uh, compare to that. It's just a really unique experience. It's incredibly rewarding. It is very, very hard. Um, there's so many lines you have to draw of your own boundaries with your art form, you know, making sure you're engaging in your own music, uh, to, you know, so you're not singing frozen songs all day, you know, of like, <laughs> you know, getting back uh, refilling your, you know, artistic cup, I guess. Um, but I really do feel like there's just not many experiences like it. And it's it's an honor to get to share it with people every day.
0: Okay. I think that's one of the things, just to comment, that I love so much about the Nordoff Robbins and other similar music-centered perspectives is that acknowledgement of I love music too, and Mm -hmm. we can do this together. And that aspect of sharing something that I think sometimes can get lost in a very clinical approach Mm -hmm. to making music that I think is super special. So who are the types of people that when they hear this, you want to encourage and say, go for it
1: oh there's my dog
0: (laughs) you know we're like almost two hours in i'm impressed
1: i'm impressed (laughs) i've had a couple saves because i have a mute button on my mic and i've been able to sneak Uh in there um so uh for people i would say for um to like the people who are my 15 year old self (laughs) of like where you're not sure if you can Mm -hmm. you love music you're just not sure, like listen to like the, your, this podcast, make more music and like hear the experiences of other people, um, go and, um, I think volunteering and spending time seeing what people do day to day. There's no better experience than going and literally experiencing it and seeing mm-hmm. it. Um, And maybe like pick up some books and read up on, you know, and it's hard because I know it's so intimidating. There's so much to read up on. Um, But that's why I think podcasts are great for stuff like this. Uh, You can just dip your toes in it a little bit. And I think for musicians specifically, no matter what kind of musician you are, if you're interested in something like music therapy, there is an avenue for you. You know, um, I'm not a classically trained musician and I struggle with reading music, but like, you know, I shine brightest in, you know, doing something like Nordoff Robbins where it's improv and you're just on the fly and you go with your gut and, you know, so there, there's a space for everybody here. Um, so yeah, I think that's what yeah. I would say. It-
0: it's inclusive of the consumers but equally as inclusive for the practitioners so
1: yes and and like you said too I think with Nordoff Robbins I you have to give a part of yourself if you want to create something you know in the music room it's not just you know you're a part of that music making experience too so you know that it's important your musicianship and you, who you are as a, as a person and your musical experiences are important and they, they play into that.
0: Well, I love it, Kate. Well, let's (laughs) kind of round into these last couple of questions. Awesome. You've already talked a lot around these questions, but I want to know specifically for you, why Mm -hmm. and how you inspire other people to make more music.
1: Okay. (laughs) Um, Hmm. I would say I think inspiring people to make more music um like when even clinically it's about um and this is also kind of a Nordoff Robbins thing of like it's about finding that internal creative being Mm -hmm. and lining up all of the other things so that there's a path to make that person come out, you know, make that, that internal, you know, it's called the music child in Nordaf Robbins of like making mm-hmm. that come out. Um, so I think the ways in which I do that as a clinician are, you know, honoring what, and I work primarily with kids is honoring what they're asking for. Um, and saying like, yes, and you know, that like, comedy kind of thing of like, yes, and okay, yes, mm-hmm. let's go there. Yes. You have something to say, yes, you have an idea and maybe we'll try it this way. So like, <laughs> I think a- that yes, and piece, it goes into a lot of that, um, of I, I want to honor what, kids are bringing to the table and then you know giving back and saying you know like hey maybe we can create this piece or you know we come back and and we I do a lot of improv and um I think even the most basic thing of like I just was improv doing an improv piece with a, a kid about hiding doing hide and seek and you know like a little four or, four or five year old and I did this progression um And then the next week, you know, this client was like, I, I want, you know, hide and seek song again. And I was like, yeah, man, like, okay, let's do this. Like this, you know, like it, yeah. So like, even though she's not necessarily making the music, she wants to experience the music again, you know? And like, I think, uh, being open, being flexible, yes, (laughs) ending as much as possible. Um, I think that's how I try to get my clients to make more music.
0: That's just a good way to live. Yes, and
1: yeah, it is. Yeah. It is.
0: <laughs> I need to try that some more with my daughter. <laughs>
1: so, yes, uh, and and then hopefully their. I feel like toddler. Their favorite word is no. So <laughs> it's like you're getting yeah. around that. Yes, and
0: <laughs> it's a beautiful roller coaster ride.
1: <laughs> yeah, I would imagine. <laughs> so,
0: uh, well, Kate, it's been fun. I'm gonna link to. We're swapping shows, so I'll be on F. your show. We'll get this out all at the same time. So where do you want people to find you know, anything you're doing clinically and everything that has to do with the podcast?
1: Yeah. Um, I think the easiest place also to find me is Instagram. Um, creative Therapy Umbrella, and uh, I usually reply pretty quick on there, so always feel free to like send a DM. Um, creative Therapy Umbrella at gmail.com. I love hearing from people and getting emails. I love helping, I love talking with people, so at, use it. Like, feel free to use it. Um, and then I have a website to Creative Therapy Umbrella.com um, that houses the podcast and then I also put up some resources here and there too um so yeah and then the podcast is on apple podcast stitcher spotify um pretty much any platform that you can listen to podcasts on it's on there so and that's just creative therapy umbrella the podcast
0: all right kate well it's been a good one we've been hanging out all night so yeah uh <laughs> For Kate and Chris, everybody remember, give more grace, share more love, and make more music. Woo-hoo. All right. I hope you enjoyed that first installment of your doubleheader. If you'd like to hear me talk any more about my job and my role and being a music therapist doing a lot of different things, you can check out the Creative Therapy Umbrella. Please go download it wherever you get your podcasts. Go follow her on Instagram at Creative Therapy Umbrella and send some Make More Music Family love. Um, yeah, we're coming up towards the end of season one and we're hopefully going to do some awesome giveaways. Uh, I'm going to start doing some new segments on the show. We're going to start launching the Patreon page with some extra content over there. So, music makers... Hit me up. What do you want out of this show? Would you like some merch? I have some merch ideas. I've got some other fun ideas in the pike. Let me know. Hit me up. I want to do what people care about, and I don't want to do things that people don't care about. So hit me up. Let me know. I'm on Instagram at make.more.music, and you can email me at podcast at gmail.com. I'll catch y'all later. Give more grace, share more love, and hashtag music.